It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. So, uh, Keith McConnell, it. welcome back to the podcast here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me again. We uh, did a preview a couple weeks ago now of uh, Blacktail Deer. Or, sorry, we recapped the Blacktail Deer and then we previewed the sheep hunt. And then I saw what your like sheep hunt program was. That was that was crazy. That's I haven't heard of anybody doing or going through all the problem, all the trouble uh, that you did just to to get to where you were going to hunt. Yeah. So, you know, we uh, we took I took a boat from Huna to Juno, Juno to Haynes, drove me and my jet boat from Haynes North, then jet boated, then hiked, then started glassing around, then decided which way we wanted to go. Yeah, it was it was a long process to get just to the spot where we wanted to start hunting. And um yeah, it was it was a chore. So it was logistically of- complicated. Yeah, crazy. But was that because the, where you uh, ease scattered, you thought, okay, th- this is where we need to be. We need to get away from some people. People might be flying into this spot, and so let's get to here. And how do we get to here and go through all that trouble, or or how did you decide on this whole approach? Um, yeah, kind of. I just, I've, you know, you probably do the same thing. I'm sure lots of other people all winter there's time to watch YouTube videos and there's time to e-scout and there's time to read management reports. And, you know, I found a video that was promising and there was good sheep habitat and it looked like it wasn't a terrible, like, you know, super dangerous, sketchy area. And the guys on the video got sheep and I, you know, paused it at some key points and basically pinpointed exactly where they'd gone and uh i don't know if you do this too but on google earth whenever i find a spot like that i drop a pin on that exact spot and then on the pin i label it and then in the notes i provide the link to the youtube video so wow that's you can you can click on the pin and then click on the youtube video and then i also in that notes i write down the exact timestamp that that picture is shown so you just go back to it and you know exactly where it's at and you know this video is attached to that spot and i a year later went back to it and looked at it and the video was gone so they deleted that video Um, and it it actually it probably wasn't even a year it's probably like a couple months later so they, someone had told them or somebody else had told them they'd revealed too much and they tried to delete it and get rid of it. But I'd already dropped the pin, so I already knew about that spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, how, did, did, was there like any sort of starting spot? Because there's multiple ranges that you could hunt from for, for sheep. And there's, I guess the approach can kind of give things away. If you're doing a fly out, that says a little bit. But like how much yeah. did you have to go on? Or did you just spend like, I know Huna might be, 
you know, somewhat boring during the winter, but that's like, that's next level. If you're just looking through every mountain range, looking for similar things in the background of a film you saw on YouTube. Yeah. I've, I've, I've probably found 20 sheep, like exact spots of sheep spots where guys have shot sheep from just YouTube videos. Damn. And it's looking at everything from glaciers. It's looking at mm. lakes. That's looking at, you can use, um, which direction the sun's coming up and which direction the mountains yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the real trick though, sometimes I found, and actually this is a, I'll tell you later exactly what it was, but it, <laughs> uh, there's a, a deer hunting video where a guy has spliced in several different locations into the same video mm-hmm. and, uh, confused the heck out of me. Cause I started searching in the wrong area based on, aerial footage and then turns out I, I figured it out eventually but it was like a work trip and a fun trip and then a hunting trip but combined all the footage into one so you know sometimes you can get thrown off but if you're patient enough and and determined and that guy made a couple mistakes and i yeah, got him on it but Dang. you know <laughs> How how long do you think it would take you to uh, dissect one of my goat spots? Probably not too long at all, right? Or have um, you already done that? No, I don't. I mean, <laughs> there's goats everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, so a, the, lot, it's the, a lot different. Um, and it's it. Some videos are impossible, and it's hard, and there's no distinctive features or things are too close up. But, um, you know, people that actually want to keep things secret really secret you have to be either very careful about it or just don't post it and yeah i know a guy i know guys that have been very successful and they'll post a picture of the after and of the you know close-up kill shot and they're not posting landscape photos or scenery photos because it can give away stuff so but to get back to your question there how how did you choose the spot um you know i basically looked at guiding areas and looked at where you could land a super cub and where you Mm -hmm. could hike from and just try to find spots that were far away from all those spots. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually pretty hard to do in sheep country. Yeah. um, Yeah. The the amount of, the amount of flat spots is crazy. You kind of look around and you think, okay, (laughs) this is going to be a good spot, but then, you know, one drainage over, Oh, there's an Atlantic strip. What in the heck? Yeah. And, um, there's now imagery, um, not just Google earth, but there's, um, you know, super high res imagery from different companies that you can get your hands on that have different, you know, satellite photos than Google earth, where something might be under cloud on Google earth, but it's clear on this one. Right. And I, you, you can zoom way in, and, uh, you know, you can see it, uh, 150 foot cub strip that someone's landed on five times Mm -hmm. and you mark that spot and you know, all right, well, some people can go there. Probably not very many people are going there, but somebody can go there. And then, you know, if someone can go there, someone's going to scout that spot by airplane. Yeah. Especially a guide. Mm -hmm. So if you're not going the first week when a Ram is, has just come, you know, Eight, just turned eight years old or just come full curl. If you're not the first one there, 
someone probably knows that there's a Ram that's, you know, decent Ram there. So I just basically tried to find spots that weren't around landing strips and I wasn't, I didn't want to do a fly out. Yeah. And, uh, we ended up basically having a plan A, B and C. And, um, after doing all the digital scouting and reading and planning, I, I talked to several people that have been in the, that general area and kind of bounced some ideas off them. They said, yeah, do this, do that, watch out for this. And it, it made me feel a lot better about my, my plan that I developed ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, after we had hiked way in and it was decision time of, all right, do we go east or west and start climbing the mountains? Um, we stopped and we were eating a snack and just glassing and we didn't see any sheep on plan A, B or C. And we saw a sheep in an area that we hadn't even thought about hiking into. Didn't download the maps for, it was like completely uh, off our radar. And I was like, well, it's a Ram and it's got, when it turned its head sideways, it had a lot of dark over its face. So I was like, that's, a decent sized horn. I was like, well, you know, we got some time, we got good weather. Let's just go over there and try that. So, um, (laughs) so we just put through all the plans and planning and all the like routes up that I'd, you know, figured we could get into, um, threw that all out the window and just totally changed courses. (laughs) And, uh, it, in the end it turned out. Okay. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, we didn't get a sheep, but, mm. um, we, we saw a lot of good habitat and we found some pretty cool areas. And, um, I think all things considered, we did all the things that we needed to do to be successful. However, just the Rams weren't quite legal, just mm-hmm. barely, barely sublegal. And I yeah. was like, heartbreak after heartbreak, like you could tell, from you know whenever we spotted ram i could tell it wasn't a huge ram I, but i was like ooh but you know they're all super close we should mm-hmm. get closer so we we pushed it in every scenario trying to get as close as we could and we got in rifle range of um it's like plenty I, for for sheep hunt I, compared to my other sheep hunts i would say we got into range of plenty of rams um, and had they been legal, we, Nathan, my hunting partner and I both would have been able to take a Ram. We were, mm-hmm. the, the train was good and the, our, the approaches that we made and playing the wind and playing the thermals that all worked out great, but just, you know, they were just a little shy. Yeah. Yeah. You talk um, about heartbreak, but I can't imagine the heartbreak of these people who come up on a Ram that's <clears> sublegal <throat> and, I think it, the official number is about 10% of the sheep that uh, um, come into fish and game are sublegal, but you know, how many people have come up on it and measure it and, you know, don't bother to take it in uh, because they know it's sublegal. So it's just oh, a whole yeah. different thing, man. Like I, I'm fascinated, but I've talked to a lot of people about, uh, about sheep hunting and, you know, talked on podcasts about it, but man, it's just, I've never actually gone on a sheep hunt. It's just such a wild thing that I just don't have to worry about with the stuff that I do, but I, I definitely want to go, but it, it just, it scares me on the one hand to go through all the trouble to get up there. And then 
um, you know, not see something that would be unfortunate, all that time, all that money, all that effort. Uh, but yeah, the, the shooting something sublegal or trying to make something legal. And I know one of yours was stinking close, but like you stayed true to it and you said, Nope, not gonna, not gonna happen. It's not that you're passing on it. You're it's sublegal. It's not your choice to pass. It's you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 10%, whatever the percentage is, you know, those are the people that are kind of hoping it's a borderline. And, you know, like you said, how many people are, are just choosing not to self-report and, you know, after what we went through to get there, hike up in there, bus brush, get, get up into the Alpine and do all that stuff. It's a lot of work and I can easily see how some people would, have the mentality of shoot first, ask questions later, or maybe just try to, you know, sneak it out. And we took a lot of video on my uh, phone through this phone scope. And, you know, we had time cause we weren't, we didn't spook anything that we were just recording, watching, waiting and, you know, I'd record for a few minutes and then go back through and just like, you know, go by frame by frame by frame as the Ram turned its head in a different way or, or whatever. And, in the moment you're like, Ooh, it's pretty close. Ooh, it's pretty close. And then when you finally get that, the still image of it, when you're, you know, yeah, maybe 300 yards away, and then you've zoomed in 20 times or 25 times and then get a still picture when it finally does turn, then you can say, okay, well, it's a half inch short <clears throat> or yeah. I, one was probably, you know, a half inch to a quarter inch too short. And that was like super close. So how so, long, how long when you first saw them to, you said you closed about 300 yards. Uh, how long did it take you to, to move over there? Were you, were you quick? Did you just kind of glass and then figure you move over there? And then how stealthy were you making that move? Cause some people talk about, you know, if, if the sheep see, sees you, they're gone. Whereas other people say, if you just make cautious stocks, you're going to be fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think on the last one, we said like staying as hidden as possible. And as it turned out, we ended up getting probably 200 yards away from three Rams that were on a flat grassy spot. They were bedded. We popped over the top, looked at them, got really good looks, determined they weren't legal and then just started walking around and moving and looking for the other Ram that was a little further up. Um, and those three, they got up and they were nervous and they moved off a little bit, but they didn't run away. They just looked mm -hmm. at us. They moved out to like maybe four or 500 yards and then just kind of chilled. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe we were over cautious and over sneaky, but I don't know. You can never, in hindsight, it, it always works out, but you can never, um, you know, try to be as stealthy as you can. So from the first time we first saw some of the Rams to the time we got on them, we took a couple of hours. Sometimes it was, you know, we saw the ones, the first Ram that we decided to go into that drainage. We saw that in the afternoon. Um, and then it wasn't until the next midday where we saw it again. Um, and so, you know, basically 24 hours between the time we saw it and then the last time we saw it to the time we refound it again. Mm -hmm. Um, and we popped up 
bit too close actually and that one winded us but it hadn't seen us or heard us and so it was nervous and it moved off but it actually moved away from where my scent was and then closer to me so mm. it, it had no idea we were there yeah um yeah that's so, kind of an yeah. interesting thing sometimes it <laughs> seems like it i mean it totally depends on the situation where there's a difference between like spooking something and bumping something and sometimes if you are pretty cautious you might bump something. So it's uncomfortable, but it's still curious enough. It's not going to get out of the territory. And I've done that with deer during rut and not during rut either when they're just kind of like, oh, what's going on here? And they'll just bump. So if you stay with it, you're going to be fine. If you freak out, you know, you start doing something crazy, then, you know, it's going to be over. But it's interesting to see how tolerant some animals are as long as you're kind of in that mode of, all right, take care of business. All right, I, it, I bumped it. But let's stay focused and uh, we can still mm-hmm. do something potentially. Yeah. And the one that we bumped there with the scent, it it ended up going up and over and out of the, our drain, like out of our area over the mountain, gone, gone. Mm. But then two days later, it was back mm. and it was back to its same little area. Um, Interesting. And so, you know, it like, it must like that spot. It must you know, must be a, a good Ram spot. And you can see there's areas that are perennial Ram beds, just, you know, years and years of Ram activity, trails, poop, you know, it's a spot where a a Ram will hang out, you know, all summer probably. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was your, what was your mileage on this one? So you end up not getting one and there's like kind of three phases to this in, tire hunt so this phase one area where you didn't get a ram uh what was the total mileage on that after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i first heard that mint mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month i thought what's the catch but after talking to them and using their service it all made sense there isn't one Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Um, I, you know, I haven't even measured it on, I didn't even go back to Google earth to remeasure where we went but i would say total mileage on that first few days um was probably yeah probably less than 15 miles um which compared to my last sheep hunt was like one day i mean we did 15 miles in a day um 
but we ended up only spending four days in that area. We basically hiked everywhere we could get to, to hike, found some routes into other drainages and then decided to back out you know, we, we hadn't seen, we'd seen Rams, but they weren't legal. We'd seen Rams that left seen Rams that came back in, but they just weren't, you know, there was nothing that was big enough by our standards to shoot. Mm -hmm. So we backed out, got back down. We were going to move positions and, um, the river had come up like three feet Hmm. and what we, what we had needed to cross, which would have been easy gravel bars and a couple little hop skips across to get over to our other side that we needed to get to was like whitewater rapids. Yikes. And, uh, not just a little bit of it, but like a lot of rapids. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. That's like, first of all, (laughs) I, we keep, we can glass over to that other side. We can't see any sheep, not even lambs or ewes. Second of all, uh, there's, it's just terrible. Like it's very dangerous to cross that. Yeah. And I, it's not worth it. So we had lunch, discussed what we should do and, you know, had maybe had we seen some rams on the other side or something, maybe wait and see if the water dropped. It hadn't really rained on us very much. It kind of sprinkled and and maybe rained a little bit, but not what we would call rain in Southeast Alaska. But yeah. <laughs> as it turns out, um, further up the drainage and in the, in the back of the mountains, it had rained like about five inches mm-hmm. in the last like mm-hmm. 24 hours. So everything um, in all of central Alaska basically flooded out. And that yeah. went, it, it both sides of the drain of the mountains, every, everywhere had rain. Um, and then I, I went back and looked at the, um, satellite, uh, like reflectivity and just, you can just see like a huge massive storm just came through the Gulf while we were out there and, um, basically dumped a ton of, of rain on like all of South central Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had gone into like whatever plan D and then plans A, B, and C were literally a wash. We couldn't get, we couldn't go do them. So while we we're sitting there, I was like, "Well, if we back out now and can the whole sheep aspect of it, we could probably go do caribou, or we could try." If moose season opens pretty quick, we could try to go into an area for moose. And so Nathan was like, "All right." yeah, let's change gears. Let's not push it. We're out of our element up here. We're, we don't know. And we, at the time we didn't know why the river had flooded so much. We're like, what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on? Is this normal? Is it going to go right back down? Is it going to stay like this for a week? You know? Yeah. And there was no camping spots like anywhere. <laughs> the whole, the, I, I think on the last one, we had talked about having two separate small tents and yeah. be, being able to put them up. But we found one spot that was in the Creek bed, like several feet from water. That was the only spot that was remotely flat enough for two people to stay next to each other. Hmm. And even setting up one tent anywhere was, (laughs) it was like really hard. Um, so that, you know, that didn't work out either. And then down by where we needed to cross the river, the, the area was a big burn at some point and 
everything was so thick. There was no, there was no open spots. There would have been open spots on the gravel bars, but the gravel bars were under two feet of water or, or, or who knows how much water they run. Um, so we basically just packed our stuff up and just chugged out of there and just hiked and hiked and hiked and got out of there and, uh, (laughs) shifted gears after that. Hmm. So then, yeah, go ahead. Uh, What's the next part there? No, no, go. You go for it. Yeah. So so you shifted gears and at some point, um, like when I, when I was getting messages of the trip after it had happened, there was this spike. Was it a a spike for fork or was it a fork or what, what was the moose you ended up getting? Um, yeah. So we ended up, um, get going into an area with my uncle, which I've gone into a couple times before with him and he's got his friend group. They all go to the same area every year. They have their little moose camp. Um, and we ended up on like September 4th or 5th, what are basically our last day that we could be hunting before we had to bail out, um, and get back to Southeast. Mm. We spotted a little spike, um, a, a little, little spike, like the spikes were like four inches long. Um, and, uh, it's like, well, that's, that's a legal bull. Should we go for it? Oh yeah. So we, we, uh, got off the hillside, went down and, um, tried to make a stock on it. And I, had, um, in 2022, I, Nathan and I both drew archery cow tags for the Fairbanks area. And, um, I had shot the, ended up shooting a moose. He, what we didn't have enough time to get two moose. So since I got one last year, he was on deck to shoot this year. Yeah. Um, but since it was my uncle's kind of hunting area, like he was going to shoot it. And I, I, I didn't even bring my rifle into the area at all or have a tag. So I was just long to spot and help. Um, so Nathan and my uncle were making a stock and, they got right to where the moose was and the moose had disappeared and I was following along, you know, trying to stay out of the way, stay quiet. Little bull gave us a slip. So we backed out of there instead of just tromping all around, trying to bump it or push it or something. We just backed out, went back up on the hill, looked again. Sure enough, it walked right back out into an area where we could see it. Okay. So then we went all the way back down the hill. Um, and uh, then we, we could see it. But as soon as they got off into the brush and into the trail, neither one of them could see it. So I was standing back up high and just kind of giving them, you know, directions, go left, go right, and keeping them straight. And it was quite a ways to hike out to where it was. And they were getting closer and closer and closer, but they, they couldn't see it. And so um, I was worried that they were going to be so close that and not see it that they were going to spook it and bump it and it would just you know run away and this you know the last couple hundred yards it's, it can hear them it's make you know it's looking at them looking at where their sounds coming from but it can't see them either um and my they they finally notice it and spot it and my uncle it, it's it's basically obscured all you can see is its head and so they're, they're double checking, making sure, all right, it's not a cow. It's make sure it's that little bull. Cause it has mm-hmm. little tiny spikes. <clears throat> and, uh, my uncle aimed for the only thing he could see, which was the head. <laughs> and, and I have it on video through the spotting scope, through this phone scope. And the bullet goes like 
maybe an inch over its forehead, right between the ears and it ducks and moves. And then he loses sight of it. And Nathan now can see it. And so then Nathan just dropped it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it all happened like super quick. And, yeah. um, but you know, then my uncle couldn't, didn't see it after, as soon as it moved, he didn't see it. So it, it was kind of, it all happened really quick after that long stop. But, um, then we were able to get, um, pretty close to it with the four wheeler. And then, um, so the pack out was really not much of a pack out. It was pretty, pretty easy. So, yeah. How much uh, meat did you get off that thing? Um, we took the whole thing to Delta meat and sausage, um, on our way South. And it was, I want to say 370, um, with bones in. So, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much meat will end up being off of that, but they'll, they'll do most of it. Yeah. That's nice though. That's super nice. Yeah. So this was in a, my my order might be a little bit messed up. So a, how long after the sheep hunt was this? Because this is the same like trip north, but yeah. kind of had some separate hunts in there. So how long after you kind of abandoned the sheep hunt was this uh, was this moose moose program? Basically, immediately after we okay. we basically got out of the sheep area, went back to Fairbanks, reshuffled gear that night, and then the next morning went into moose country. Gotcha. And then, then spent what would have been our second half of our sheep hunt in a moose area. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, the thing, man, about, uh, about being on the road system and like Huna's not on the road system, but you can get to Juno and then get up to Haynes. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to go to Juno first in order to get to Haynes, right? Yeah. And there's almost daily ferry from Juno to Haynes. Yeah. And, in the summer, spring, summer, and fall, at least. Yeah. Then you have to go through Canada and it's a kind of a long drive, but man, being able to like, you can be in Anchorage and then drive, you know, over to Toke. You can drive North to Heal. You can drive North further North to Fairbanks. You can drive, you know, all the way to Prudhoe Bay, just being on that road system, you know, yeah. it's a long stinking drive, but you can cover some, cover some ground and, and get into these different ranges and get into these different areas. And all of a sudden, all right, well, what else is available it's uh caribou is open here. Moose is open here. Sheep is open here. It's uh it's pretty wild, but man, it's, it's some gas mileage. Yeah. We, you know, we, I, I kind of wanted to hunt, um, caribou rather than moose. Cause you know, w- we could have done caribou on our own, but the, uh, the hunt that is, uh, takes place off the Steese highway had just closed. Mm. And that then thing closed um, pretty quick. Yeah. It, in 2020 it was still open after I'd finished the sheep hunt, but that was a little earlier in the season, but, um, so it had just closed. So then, but we didn't know that at the time that we backed out of our, uh, sheep hunting area. Cause that wasn't really on our radar, um, with like pre-planning things, but, um, we got back to Fairbanks kind of regrouped and then realized, all right, well, the weather North of, Fairbanks to go into the Brooks range for a caribou up there is terrible right now. So we decided, all right, well, caribou's out to drive to the next caribou area is going to be so long. Anyway, Mm -hmm. we might as well just go do the moose program. Um, and it worked out. We helped, there was another, um, guy that got another moose, 
um, out of that friend group. So we helped him deal with that one. And then at the very end, we were able to help go take all of it out to Delta meat and sausage and stuff on our way through. Um, and yeah, it, it worked out. Okay. It was a good yeah. like pivot. Yeah. So how long is it going to take for uh Delta to get your meat back? I know some people drop them off at uh, that, the place Indian Valley or whatever near Anchorage. There's a place up in uh, Fairbanks, but like it can be a couple of weeks until they even get to it. And then by the time yeah. it's processed, packaged, you know, made into sausage, whatever, what, uh, what's the timetable of getting that meat back? Um, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's probably done by now. Okay. We were, I, I want to say we were like number 10 or 11 in line or something. So shouldn't have been too long. Um, and we weren't getting a lot of fancy stuff mm-hmm. made. Um, so I'm hoping it's just about done. Um, tomorrow I'm heading to Juno for a couple of days and then flying to Anchorage and then Fairbanks and then get in my truck and then driving back down. So on my way back down, hopefully I'll be able to grab the meat at, in Delta. Nice. Um, and, uh, take, we're going to, we'll split it up obviously, but be able to grab some of the stuff and bring it back down here. Nice. Do you get the mostly just packed? Did you grounded sausage or what'd you do with it? Uh, we, it's kind of going all over the place. We, I got some roasts. I got some steaks. Um, there's a big like form to fill out with like what, like kind of what you want. And they kind of divvy it up based on, I don't know. They, they have their routine. I just basically did what my uncle usually liked to get. And then we'll just take, we'll just sort it all out up there. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So I'm, I was thinking about flying back with it or then, um, you know, sending it on uh, Alaska air cargo and basically all those either just became like a hassle or logistically complicated. And now it's getting cooler and cooler by the time I'm up there with the truck, when I have, you know, frozen packaged meat, throw it in a big cooler, Mm -hmm. it's going to stay frozen for two days till, till I get back to Juneau. So yeah, shouldn't be a problem. Nice. Save a little on shipping. Yeah. So what else are you going to do while you're back up there rescuing the meat? Is it just um, meat rescues? See some people? Any uh, any other tag you got in the pocket? Most of the stuff or a lot of the stuff is kind of closed down now. It's, it's kind of tapering. No, I'm going to um, just, uh, I'll see some family while I'm up there, but I'm going to do some flying on uh, one of the days in Anchorage. Um, just uh, build a couple more hours and uh, do some flying in a, in a different plane type than I've flown before. And then, um, sorry, what, what kind of, uh, plane do you usually fly? Um, what I was training on last winter was, uh, Piper Cherokee, uh, a couple different versions of that, but basically just a low wing trainer. And then I'll, I'll just do a high wing trainer, this Cessna. They're basically, you know, a little bit different flight characteristics, but basically the same thing. What, uh, what size Cessna? Uh, probably 172. Okay. Yeah. Okay, just uh, still pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap. That's cool. So when you're up in Anchorage, like you just contact someone who has, uh, like a, uh, instructor who has a plane and ask to get some hours and pay them or what, how, how does that work? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll go through, um, an instructor, a friend has his pilot's license and he, he'll, he'll rent a plane for 
for a few hours. And then if his instructor has time, we'll I'll rent a, another plane for a couple more hours and, and uh, fly with her for a little bit. Nice. And uh, just try to try to stay, you know, not proficient, but try not to uh, let those skills, you know, languish. Yeah. Those are skills you want to, you want to keep, uh, keep pretty fresh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I'm, I'll be back down in Arizona where I was doing training last winter. I'll be down there for a family arena at the very end of October. So hopefully uh, do a couple more hours with the instructor and then, and fly around by myself for, for a few more hours too. Nice. Where in Arizona? Uh, Southern Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I found a little uh, private airstrip that has a couple planes on it. And, um, it's pretty crazy. You, you'll, you'll be landing, you know, my little junkie trainer that's got thousands of hours on it and just is used and abused. And then right behind you is like a, um, like Learjet <laughs> landing. Yeah. And then like a, someone's like fancy, like 3d acrobatic plane takes off after that. And then like a $300,000 super cub clone lands right after you. And it's like, yeah, kind of, kind of crazy, kind of cool. Yeah. Some of the summers in Ketchikan here, you got, you got the whole variety. You got the Alaska airlines, of course, you got the uh, Island air, which is a twin, uh, turbo props that go over to Prince Wales. And you got like, someone has an ultralight parked over there. You got a couple of Lear jets and you got a, a couple 185s. It's just, uh, the full gamut of, uh, of, of aircraft over there at the airport. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like catch a can. Well, then you got all the float planes. You got the main runway, the float runway. Yeah. And then Juno's busy too, because you've got umpteen hundred helicopters going all different directions. Yeah. And, and float traffic and jet traffic. And if you're in a little plane and you're coming in and a jet's coming in, they're going to be coming out a lot faster than you are. So yeah. Yeah. Those are things about, that make, yeah. Go ahead. It makes me nervous. <laughs> things yeah. that make me nervous. <laughs> in, in Anchorage, it seems like everything has a pretty defined float or, um, uh, flight pattern. Um, there's that lake that's uh, fairly close to the airport. But yeah. I mean, everything is very specific in and out of, uh, of the airport. It's, you know, as soon as you take off, you are hard banking to get out of someone else's way. And then that, uh, that, that seaplane area, that's, you know, pretty close to it. Um, a lot lower, a lot out of the, out of the way there. And then you got the, the air base there. So there's a lot of traffic, but it seems very defined where, uh, where people are supposed to go. Yeah, I that's definitely going to be the most intimidating part of flying up there is um, how complicated the airspace is. I'm yeah. I'm sure that for the size and the population around there, I'm sure it's the most complicated airspace in the United States. It has to be. Yeah, because there's a, a top five cargo destination in North America or the world, right? So there's tons of commercial flights plus uh, cargo. And then you add in all the, uh, the private stuff going around plus the air force. Like that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So anyway, it'll be new. It'll be something fun. Um, we'll just probably do that for, you know, the afternoon or whatever, if it's good weather, if it's not good flying weather, maybe just go fishing or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I only hunted, I think two days in September here and both was pretty miserable, but at one time was just to go set out trail cams. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically between moose last year, 
deer last year, moose this year, a couple deer earlier this summer, you know, I'm not in a meat shortage. So mm-hmm. I've got, I'm not really a angling to do that much more hunting. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the nice thing that we're kind of in a similar situation, which is bizarre because we have a caribou and we have two mountain goats. So we're pretty decent on meat in addition to the the halibut and salmon that we got, but we don't have a, a deer yet. It's just kind of bizarre. Uh, but it is nice that, you know, we can go out for a deer and those are a lot smaller. So it's not like, oh, you know, we're, we're mostly full of meat. And if we shoot a moose, then we're buying two new freezers. So we're yeah. in, uh, in pr- pretty good shape that way. And it's, it's nice to have that variety and it's nice to feel good about it. You're not you know, desperate for anything because you're going to run out of meat. So I'm um, looking forward to looking forward to the next month and a half, two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I've been shooting my bow a lot and i um, going to bring that to uh, Juno with me in Anchorage and, and do some shooting there too, and make sure I'm tuned up and I'll just bow hunt in, in November and just, you know, if, if something happens, great. If it doesn't, if I don't get anything coming in real close, then I won't worry about it. Yeah. But Are it'll you, just be, it'll be fun. When do you start? I know a lot of people, they take September off. They do their early mountain, uh, blacktail rut, uh, for the first, you know, couple weeks or maybe, you know, mid August. Um, and they kind of take September off and some people don't even start hunting again until like end of October. Whereas other people say, you know, you start hunting in October cause they're, going to start to move at some point and then you got the pre-rut then you then you got the rut so how do things uh kind of measure up there with uh with with how when can you really start to think about uh getting some some rut action or some deer um i basically don't worry about hunting from september i don't know 15th to the end of october because mm-hmm. like and i'm sure and there are guys that shoot you know, deer and bucks, but, um, in that time frame. but I do a lot of hunting in early August through the end of August. And then I just wait because I got other things I got to do. There's other things to do other things to hunt. That's, you know, a little bit easier giving the conditions and you know, how spread out deer are during later September and through October. And then once the rut is actually starting to happen and here for whatever reason, um, it doesn't really seem like there's a really strong, like pre-rut stuff until, um, I want to say just like basically the early November, like November 12th, I think a couple I've, I've, I know I've shot a couple deer on November 12th in particular, and that is like full on rut at mm-hmm. that point. So, you know, given this, you know, spot to spot sometimes can be a little different too, just a, you know, a few miles away, but basically I'm not, I don't get really stoked up about anything till November rolls around. Yeah. Uh, October 31st, like Halloween that weekend tends to be like when I really start to get excited, I've had uh, some success there. And I think part of it comes with, you know, if you do kind of take it easy, October, then you got all the juice for the end of October and, and November. If you're going hard all through September and all through October, you kind of get beaten down by the weekend warrior <clears throat> every weekend. You're just soaking wet. You're stinking tired. You might not be seeing stuff. And then those weekends just kind of wear on you that in addition to work. So I know you're mm-hmm. supposed to keep hammering and everything like that, but man, like you get saturated every weekend for an entire month. By the time rut roll, rolls around, you're like, oh, gosh, man, I'm, kind of sick of being tired. It's kind of sick of being wet, kind of sick of being cold. 
yeah, I, you know, or the season is like six months long, so yeah. you don't need to be hammering for six months. If you're <laughs> if you're actually out hunting and are being effective, you're gonna shoot your deer <laughs> relatively quickly, or you know, more deer than you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I like learning. I like exploring new places. So I I rarely go to the same place twice in a um or maybe I'll go to the same place a couple times in a year, but I might not go back there the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I kind of figured that little place out. I want to go learn something else. And then like that expands your total like repertoire of, of where you can go and what, you know, rather than just going to the same place over and over and over again. Um, and I, I don't know, I, that, to me, that's more enjoyable. It's just, you know, having a, uh, a fairly good work knowledge of lots of areas, I think is probably better than, um, knowing one place super, super well. Yeah. I think there's a benefit to knowing one place super well, but like there's a lot of universal sort of tactics once you kind of learn the terrain and, and kind of get out of just walking down the middle of the muskegs and hoping something is going to be outstanding in the muskeg or bedded down in the muskeg, just kind of getting that idea of, all right, if we're 15 feet off or 15 yards off the musk egg in this salal or in this really thick stuff, this is where they're going to be bedded. So find that trail and use those tactics that are universal that, you know, mm-hmm. anytime you're approaching a small little musk egg, like those little pocket musk eggs tend to be really, really good. So rather than looking for the biggest musk egg you can find, you know, yep. Hey, let's this, this pocket musk egg is great. Cause this is, this could consolidate some of the action in the area. It's all timber, but then here's where you're going to get those nice edges with some, some stuff where they can, uh, where they can feed or they can, they can be around there. This is going to be a good rut spot and, yeah. um, different angles to pay attention to the wind and walking all the way around, um, rather than just go down the middle, you know, just all those sort of things and applying that to new areas. That way you don't, like you said, keep going back to the same spot, which you might be educating the deer. Maybe someone else is there. It's uh, it's fun to apply those things and and learn. Yeah, the t- the two places that I went to in in last couple of weeks um, were both new to me areas, and I found those little sweet spots, the real thick, dense timber that you can sneak through really easily, move through a lot of area without giving yourself away, and then poke out into these kind of small openings um and it was pouring rain and miserable and I, I was soaking wet but i saw quite a few deer in just still hunting sneaking not calling just being very s- slow and stealthy and just going through those high density areas where you know they're that's where the deer's going to be they're not going to be out in the open when it's windy and rainy and wet they're going to be right in the thick stuff um, but because it's windy and rainy and wet, you, your sound is not going anywhere. Yeah. So that, that, that was kind of fun. It was a waste of time to go hunting. Cause I knew the bucks, <laughs> it was, it was too early. The bucks were still going to be kind of higher, but it was foggy and rainy up high anyway. So there was, mm-hmm. um, but then I, I just wanted to get out and set trail cams on spots that I had, had looked at on the map and said, okay this is probably the right elevation. This is the right aspect. There's good timber. The, all these things look good. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's trails around. So I'll go collect those trail cams up at, probably at the end of November um, and, and see what had happened. I'll probably try to hunt those areas in November mm-hmm. and then get my trail cams at the very end of November and see what, see what was around. 
Yeah, I, I like scouting out some of those areas so you see it when you see it for the first time because everything around here is just so dense. You know, if you're down south and you think, okay, mm. I can I can get through this. This is going to be pretty easy to get through. You know, you can really e scout it. But a lot of times here we're just looking at musk eggs, but we don't know what the approach is going to be. It could be a lot more. You know, it looks kind of gradual. Maybe it's more of a, a steep climb. Maybe it's a little bit more. Um, you know, brushy than you think, or that it looks online. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, when you're trying to do it in season, this is your one day dedicated to it, and it's not at all what you thought it would be. So, getting the eyes on it first and think, okay, I actually need to approach from this angle here because this is going to be a lot quieter. Or you find a game trail, you find something else. Getting that uh, that first eye on it, and then hunt it the second time. I, I, that's that's an effective method. Yeah, and that's why that was low. You know. Low probability of bumping into a buck there, but at that at during kind of mid September, but just like you said, low pressure too. Scout it, figure out what you want, and then when it's prime time and there's bucks that have come down in elevation and now they're actually actively rutting, they might come to a call. That's you know how to get into all those areas without mm-hmm. you know giving yourself away. That that could be you know super valuable. Yeah. Well, what else you got, man? It's uh, getting a little bit uh, toward dinner time here. I know I got some uh, Italian sausage caribou, caribou Italian sausage, however you say that. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty uh, stoked on that. Uh, what else you got? Um, I, yeah, I got a about eight more dungeons to crack uh, oh. tonight. Um, we pulled our got our boats put away for the season and pulled the crab pot the other day, and uh, it was loaded. So. Nice. Gave a bunch away, ate a bunch yesterday. I'll eat the rest tonight and, and then uh, package up some to save it. But I got to get to that. Um, uh, oh, well, I guess the the bad things about – I wrote down a couple bad things that happened on the sheep hunt that people might learn from mm-hmm. if I discuss them. Um, so I, I popped the air mattress, Ooh. my, my sleeping pad, um, and didn't have a patch kit. And so laid down at night after hiking a long ways and being pretty tired and woke up about an hour later, flat on my back, cold. Mm. And it was dark and I couldn't figure out where the hole was anyway. And I was just, I blew it up and then it deflated and I blew it up again, deflated. And I just did that all night. <clears throat> um, Nathan, my my hunting partner did have a patch kit, but he didn't know where it was and it was the middle of the night. So we didn't try to dig it out. I just kind of suffered that first night. We were able to patch it, but it barely patched it. So I'll have to, you know, I'll, I'll try to do a little bit of permanent fix when I get it, get my pad back here. Um, cause I just left all my gear up there and just, we just flew, flew home. Um, but, uh, so I'd say, you know, if you're going to do a multi-day hunt, make sure you've got a patch kit for a sleeping pad or, or maybe a couple. Cause they don't weigh anything. They're tiny and it could save your bacon. Cause I, we were looking down the barrel of maybe eight more nights and eight more nights sleeping on rocks in a Creek bed was not going to be no. fun. No, yeah, it might've been a, it might've been a deal breaker. Like, yeah. You know, um, the other thing, little sewing kit would have been great. We didn't have that. And, uh, in that burn area that we were crossing, a lot of stuff was downed and, and tilted over at weird angles. And, uh, 
I ripped a pretty good hole in the two uh, U um, brain pants right right in the crotch, mm. and uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't super super close to the danger zone, but it was uh, a big enough spot where it would have um, it let water in when it was raining. Um, so um, had I had a thread needle, I could at least kind of close that gap back up again. And then there's um, Aquaseal that dries pretty quick. Um, yeah. So, and that's what I usually do to patch. Um, I'll just sew it back up and then Aquaseal the front and back. And that, that works great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, having, having some patches is huge. I've done that with uh, my, my Sitka pants. This is a couple of years ago. They, uh, they tore a little bit. Um, and they got it dried out enough to, to put a patch on that it makes a big difference, but yeah, those things, there's nothing, uh, weight wise to them. So having yeah. a little possibles pack, that's got a little, a couple things like that in there. Um, it's huge just to have those things be able to get back to effective hunting. Cause those things just wear on your mind a little bit. You know, if you don't sleep real well, it just, it bogs you down a little bit. Yeah. And I, you know, I've used that pad for a long time and I've used other pads. I've never popped a hole mm. and I've slept in some questionable spots, but, um, and I, I don't even know how the hole got popped. I, I found it, but anyway, um, then the other thing was it was raining and windy and kind of gross. We were up on the you know ridgetop watching Rams and it was gusty and my rain fly on my backpack flew off Ooh. and sailed down the mountain out of sight gone and uh it's pouring rain all my stuff is in now something that's not water resistant even hardly and uh it's like that this might really suck here yeah um and luckily i went back down but i had to descend quite a ways and i i got it on the way out that day and found oh, it wow. but, but um you know, it took, if I would have just stopped what I was doing and go down a thousand feet, get it or wherever it ended up and then climb all the way back up to where we were, you know, that's just a, another big burner. Yeah. So, so like having a little, so then Nathan had a bailed me out again. He had a little, um, tiny aluminum carabiner and I just clipped it through these, the little, uh, bungee straps on the, on the rain fly through behind my back somewhere and then it, it wouldn't fly off anymore mm, but nice like that was could have been another terrible you know complication yeah carabiners are nice to have just clipped just for whatever yeah and we ended up using another one to hang all our food up um you know where we slept in the, where we camped in the timber and stuff we we didn't bring all our food with us the whole time Mm-hmm. So we, we left a cache of food and just climbed up as high as I could get into the tree and, and had a little string over it or had a, you know, paracord over it and, and hoisted all our food up there. And hopefully that's, you know, that would have been it, you know, nothing bothered it. So yeah, maybe it worked, maybe nothing ever came by, but, um, yeah. you know, a couple little things, uh, made it a little bit better and a couple yeah. without those couple things might've really sucked, but <laughs> It's always good to have a good hunting partner, just in case there's stuff that you forget. It's uh, yep. nice to have someone that uh, can bail you out if need be, because that's going to happen at some point. You can be as prepared as you want, but stuff happens. Yeah, and I, I had a pretty good med kit. 
Um, and that's the one thing that I like. I've, I've got a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and I, I've hunted with other people that either have like basically nothing for a med kit or like way too much. Like a, a yeah. friend is a volunteer EMT here and he brings, it's gotta be eight pounds worth of like med kit stuff every time. It's like, well, there's gotta be a happy medium here. of like, so we don't need to bring all this stuff every yeah. time, you know, because yeah. the odds of using any of that's super, super low, but, um, you know, you don't want to just be, be out there with nothing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nathan's, Nathan's pretty solid. It's, it's really nice to have a good hunting partner that mm-hmm. for sheep, especially that's yeah. what you need. Yeah. Oh, the best thing about Nathan is that all his camo is a different color than mine. <laughs> so there's no confusion and uh it's all uh like almost child size too so even oh, if nice. it was the same it would be a, <laughs> we wouldn't be borrowing each other's stuff yeah what uh what does he run just the same exact same stuff but just in a different pattern oh, Coop, okay. Coop, gotcha. he's got the uh i guess uh oh vias okay. vias or what the the stuff that doesn't have any green in it and then i've got the stuff with the green gotcha cool but do we didn't need camo anyway because the sheep either never saw us or they saw us walking around and just didn't care so yeah nice cool man well uh always great to talk to you really appreciate uh the the adventures and even though we're both in southeast it's uh you know it's always wild it's always different you're uh, way up there in huna Yep, the northern northern southeast correspondent here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh cool man. Well, uh, thanks again. Great stories and um we'll uh hopefully uh rut turns out pretty good. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. All right, cool. Yep. Well, thanks appreciate man. It, appreciate it. Yeah, later.